Welcome back to another episode of A Lamp Under My Feet. This is Ron, and it is the week after Easter, so I hope everybody had a good Easter. I hope everybody was able to find a uh, church to go to on Resurrection Sunday, or at least a live stream or something like that. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about hypocrisy. We're going to be looking at what makes a hypocrite. We're going to be breaking this down into three major things. We're going to be talking about the dictionary definition. We're going to look at the. Uh, we're going to be examining that definition and what the widely accepted definition of hypocrisy is from a secular standpoint, as far as uh, the educated, more uh, less theological aspect of it. And then we're also going to be breaking it down biblically, uh, taking that and applying it to the Bible and saying, okay, what did Jesus say about hypocrisy, and to whom, and what other parts of Scripture actually address hypocrisy. We're going to have to unpack a number of things to adequately understand each of these aspects and its implications in this topic. But one of the key issues to look at here is this: Does a Christian judging somebody make? Uh, does a Christian judging something or someone make them a hypocrite? Uh, why or why not? And what circumstances actually allow for it? So we're going to be talking about hypocrisy, but we're also going to be honing in on that as to does somebody judging a thing or a person make them a hypocrite and what are the actual correct biblical ways to judge so thanks for tuning in on this and let's get into it so first of all let's look at the definition Uh, for hypocrisy i looked this up in merriam-webster's dictionary uh, and it is defined as and this is a quote quote a feigning to be what one is not or to believe what one does not, end quote. Um, also, behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel, especially false assumption of an appearance of virtue or religion. And this is that, that, that entire quote, um, I guess I ended the quote a little early, but let me repeat it one more time. So it's, quote, um, a feigning to be what one is not or to believe what one does not. Behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel, especially false assumption of an appearance of virtue or religion, end quote. So that that entire thing, that's the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary definition of hypocrisy. So what can we consider a widely accepted definition of hypocrisy? So that's, you know, that's the definition according to the dictionary, and that's like the, you know, uh, the schoolhouse type of uh, definition. So let's break this down. What can we just basically say? The hypocrisy is for the sake of this podcast. We'll just call it um, someone who says one thing while practicing another. That's basically, I think, what I've heard most people uh, equate hypocrisy with is somebody who says one thing or or and does another, or basically someone who doesn't practice what they preach, so to speak. So let's break down this deck that this uh, Webster's definition of hypocrisy. And I'm kind of getting the words dictionary definition confused in my brain. So that's why it sounds like I'm struggling with it a little bit. Um, but anyway, so let's let's break this down into three parts. Part A. Part A is that part that says a feigning to believe to be what one is not or to believe what one does not. Part A doesn't apply to true Christianity because people who claim Christ as their Savior but not as their Lord are not truly Christians. This isn't directed at those who are struggling to overcome some area of sin in their life, but to those who have no intention of abandoning their life, of breaking the laws of God and wrongfully assuming God's grace will excuse them. So let me let me kind of, you know, explain that. Um, true Christianity acknowledges Jesus not just as your Savior who 
purchased your pardon for your sins through his blood on the cross, but also submitting to him as Lord. And that's part of the problem that a lot of Christians or a lot of people who claim to be Christians have is they enjoy the fact that they believe that Christ is their Savior because it frees them from the consequences of their sin. However, they have not yet yielded to Christ as their Lord. Now, Christ is already Lord. Jesus has said, all power and, uh, or all authority is in heaven and earth is given unto me. He's already Lord of heaven and earth. So rather you accept it or not, that doesn't change his lordship over heaven and earth. Because rather you want to accept it or not, you're going to have to answer to Christ one day. You're going to be judged by him regardless, rather you want to or not. So he's going to be Lord regardless because he's sovereign. However, refusing to acknowledge him as Lord and submit to him as Lord, which means giving your will over to the will of God, submitting to his will over yours, that's something that uh, true Christians will do. It's not an act of um, piety. It's not an act of being religious. It's an act of recognizing that I am, as, as a sinful human being, by my flesh, I'm unable to do anything good. I've never done anything good in my life except the things that are contrary to God. That's the only thing that I've ever done with my life are the things that are contrary to the will of God. And because of that, I have to submit to God. I have to submit to Christ as my Savior and my Lord because he's the only one who really knows what's best for me. So the people that are struggling with some area of sin in your life, the ones that... So let, let's just be clear, and I'm going to break this down later, but nobody, even if you've been uh, redeemed by the blood of Christ, you're never going to be free from sin. You're never going to be free from temptation. Yes, you're free from the, the guilt, the burden, the shame, and you've, get, you've been given power in the Holy Spirit to overcome those things. However, you're never going to be free from sin entirely in this life. So I'm not trying to come at an, uh, attacking anybody for this, but what I'm saying is to those people that have no intention of giving up their life that they know is breaking the laws of God and wrongfully, they're wrongfully assuming that God's grace is going to excuse them. Because they're saying, oh, well, it's under the blood, so I can do whatever I want. No, that is hypocrisy. That is not Christian. Acknowledging Christ as your Lord is to fully submit your life to him and obey his commands. These are not suggestions or guidelines, but these are literal commands in Scripture. Now, let's look at part B of this definition. And part B is that, um, that part of the definition, the dictionary definition that says behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel, especially the false assumption of an appearance of virtue or religion. Behavior that contradicts one's alleged beliefs. That's basically what it's saying. This is where we see the biblical aspect begin to take effect. The reason being Paul the Apostle himself wrote about it in Romans. This is actually something that Paul addresses in Scripture in the book of Romans, that he wrote a letter to the, to the Roman church. Not the Roman Catholic Church, but the church that was in Rome at that time. So let's look at this for a moment. So there's three parts of Romans that I want to hone in on. They're not very long, but the first part is a little bit um, lengthy, if I may say so. So I'm going to be reading Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. I'm going to kind of speak a little bit quickly, but I'm not going to rush through it. Um, but it's important for us to read this to gain context of what's being spoken here. Because if we're actually going to look at this uh, in in the light of truth, we need to understand what the Bible actually says. So let's read this. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, which is my preferred version. But, you know, other translations basically say the same thing. So starting in verse 17 of Romans chapter 2. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish and a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. 
You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, now this is talking about circumcision as far as you know, we understand the Jews held circumcision to be the sign of covenant with God, keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but yet break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one who is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So that's in Romans chapter 2. We see that Paul's basically addressing this idea that, you know, the Christ kind of did when he talks about the Pharisees, talking about the teachers. Now he's, of course, addressing, um, you know, the believers, not the Pharisees per se, but he's addressing this Pharisaical attitude of, okay, you've got this law, you say that you're the, all these things according to the law, but yet do you still do these things that are contrary? You teach it, but do you practice it? And then also, if you do practice it, um, or you know, later down into the other part of the of the passage, talks about you know, if you're a Jew, you're not one just because of the things that you do, but because of the matter of the heart. And this is where we start looking at the aspect of Christ being the fulfillment of the law as far as the ceremonial aspect of things, because he says here that circumcision is a matter of the heart. So initially it was physical. Now he's saying that because of Christ fulfilling the ceremonial law, circumcision is something that happens in the heart, that God circumcises the heart of a person of that wickedness and not just the physical circumcision. And he's basically saying this. So let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. Um, and I think it's important that I read these verses actually as they're written because if I just paraphrase it, um, I don't want it to lose context. So Romans chapter 6, verse 11 and 12 so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So what we see here is that although one is dead to sin and alive in Christ, we still have sinful passions that dwell within us because he clearly says, you must render yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Your mortal body has sinful passions. We're told that in spite of this, we are to obey the word of God. We are to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ, yet acknowledging that with because of our flesh, because of our fallen state, we still struggle with sinful passions. We still struggle with temptation, and that's okay. That's, that, that's part of our condition as humans. That doesn't give us an excuse to sin, but it explains why, even after becoming a Christian or believing in Christ, somebody can still have these temptations. It doesn't mean that you're crazy or weird. It just means that you're human. And on that same note, we're going to look at the last part of this uh, section of Romans. And if you haven't read Romans before, I really suggest you do. It's awesome. It really explains God's heart for people very well. Um, but Paul basically discusses how the spirit and the flesh are at war with each other. So this is a little bit lengthy too, but hopefully this is the uh, longer section of Scripture. I don't think I have any other verses that I'm going to be reading that are going to be as long as this. So if you can bear with me just one more time. But anyway... Um, this is a great exposition of like how 
somebody can be a Christian and yet still struggle with their flesh. Um, so this is Romans chapter 7, verses 13 through 25. Did that which is good, or excuse me, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So by acknowledging what sin is, recognizing it as sin, the commandment makes it become more sinful because of the knowledge that it is sin. For we now, now that part's not part of scripture. That that was my paraphrasing of what I just read in verse 13. But verse 14 continues, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. So now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Or if I do, excuse me, now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? From this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So we see here Paul is explaining that the, the, the sinful nature is very much at work, even in believers. This doesn't mean that we have the right to go do whatever we want. This doesn't excuse us sinning. But what it does do is it explains that the things that we know to do, we struggle to do because our flesh is powerful. Our flesh, the temptations, the things of this world, they are very constant and bombarding and they will wear you down. And they will, if you're not grounded in truth and grounded in sound doctrine, grounded in Christ and covered in the blood constantly, you're going to be struggling more so because you're not, you're not clothing yourself in Christ. Let me be very clear here. There's nothing we can do to help our own broken state as sinful people. It's only by the blood of Christ that redeems us. However, I do want us to acknowledge that Paul's saying very clearly here that the flesh is sold under sin in verse 14, that he doesn't understand his own actions and he doesn't do the thing that he wants to do, but he does the things that he hates to do. So what this also does is it describes that the attitude of a Christian, though they may still struggle and they still they may still fall, they may stumble, they may still continue in some of their sin, not because they want to, that they, they may be seeking deliverance and God will eventually deliver. God, God is faithful to finish the work he's begun in us. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that um, the attitude of a, of a Christian is going to change. Right. So this attitude of before I used to take pleasure in my sin, but now my heart is grieved because I know that the things that I'm doing are painting the heart of the Lord. These are not things that I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. These are things that are in. They're not mistakes. Your sin is not a mistake. Your sin is not a little oopsie daisy. Your sin. And the only way to really understand uh, the, the, the weight of what sin really is, is to understand what you're doing, because God is holy and righteous and just. 
and he is holier beyond our comprehension than we can. He's more holy than anything that we can comprehend. And because of that, even the slightest sin is a grievous offense. It's breaking the laws of an almighty God who spoke the universe into existence. You cannot escape the weight of sin. That's why it feels so convicting when Christians do sin, because they realize they have an understanding of the spiritual consequences of these things. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we won't still struggle with it. But our attitude as followers of Christ has changed. Where we used to take pleasure in our sin, now our hearts are grieved by our sin. So what do these things mean? Quite plainly, Christians are reborn in their spirit and they're made new creations by God through the Holy Spirit because of our faith in what Christ has done for us by his death and by his resurrection. We are given the Holy Spirit of God to enable us to obey the commands of God because we're not able to do it on our, on our own power. But through the Holy Spirit of God, it enables us to obey the commands of God and to follow Jesus. Not only is our Savior who paid the penalty for our sins, but to surrender our lives. That includes our desires, our habits, our thoughts, our words, our actions. Literally every part of our being, we must surrender to Him as our Lord and as our King. We are told as believers in Jesus that we are given redemption in the blood of Jesus. We are given an eternal inheritance in heaven. And we are given forgiveness in full for every single sin that we have ever committed against God. And so many more spiritual blessings and promises that Christ has secured for us through the cross. Now that doesn't make us perfect. Don't be deceived. That does not make you perfect by no means. This, these different scriptures, they give us a plain telling that we are spiritually at war with our flesh. And we're told by Jesus to deny ourselves, which means denying our passions and our desires and the things of the flesh, and to take up the burden of our own cross and follow him. We are susceptible to temptation, and without the strength of God in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will fall. Straight up. Let me say that again. We are always going to be susceptible to temptation. In fact, the scripture actually tells us to take heed if you think you stand, lest you fall. To be careful if you think that you, if you stand, lest you fall. And, uh, and without the strength of God in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will fall. There are some passages that confirm this and also give us hope in the face of this truth of Scripture. So let's talk about that for just a second. Um, John 13, 16, the book of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 16. And it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So... No servant is greater than his master, and we're to follow the words of Christ if he really is our master. He was tempted by, by the devil, and so will we be. We have been and we failed. Now Christ, because he was God incarnate, God made flesh, the word made flesh for us, and all these other things that the Bible tells us that Jesus is, we know that he didn't, he didn't sin, he didn't fall to the temptation, but he was tempted, and because no servant is greater than his master, who are we to think that we're never going to be tempted, Right? First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, First Corinthians ten thirteen. Let's go to that real quick. <clears throat> like I said, <clears throat> these uh, verses are becoming a little bit shorter now. <clears throat> excuse me, as I clear my throat. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So take. Uh, take comfort in that. No temptation has overtaken us except what is common to man. So there's nothing that you're tempted by that hasn't already been 
a common temptation to man. Somebody somewhere is struggling with the same thing, but it also says that God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now you may think it's beyond your ability, but that's when you lean on the power of the Holy Spirit because it says also in verse 13 that with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, sometimes we can't see that way of escape and the only way for us to be able to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit is to continually live our lives in submission to him. If we submit ourselves to God, he will make his voice clearer to us. And that way, when the temptation arrives, we will be able to see that way of escape. We will have the confidence that God's power is able to keep us. The Holy Spirit is able to keep you. God, is the, he has the same hand that holds up the heavens and the earth. He, hold, he hung every star where it is in the sky. His hand is powerful enough to hold you in the midst of your temptation, as long as you are walking in obedience to his word. We're told not to sin, but God also knows our weaknesses and our tendency to sin, so he continues to extend mercy, forgiveness, and grace through the cross of Christ for us when we truly repent of those sins that we've committed. And uh, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, uh, excuse me, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. I'm going to read that very quickly for you. It's only five verses. It's not as long as the other stuff. Um, but it's a, as, before I read that, I just want to say it is a great explanation of what it means to be a Christian and not be a hypocrite, right? Although that you may be warring with sin, you may be fighting that struggle of sin in your flesh, that doesn't mean that you're, st that you're a hypocrite if you're a Christian. So don't let the fact that you feel that way make you feel condemned. So let's go to it right quick. It's going to be 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-3. And it reads, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So this explains very easily that, first off, it says uh, if we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we're lying and we're not practicing the truth. So if we say we're Christians and yet do these things. Now, I'm not talking about struggling with sin. I'm not talking about struggling with temptation and hating the fact that you still do things that you know you shouldn't do. And you're, you're, you're just trusting God to deliver you and you're walking as obediently as you can. You're, you're trying to, not in the power of your own strength, but the power of the Holy Spirit, you're trying to grow. And you're trusting God and you're growing in the knowledge of God and you're doing the right things, but you're still struggling with your sin. That's okay. Be encouraged. Don't be, don't be condemned by that. Just continue to ask God to forgive you. Continue to ask the Holy Spirit to create that, you know, um, that continual spirit of repentance in you that you can constantly know that you can come to the cross for forgiveness. Um, but at the same time, uh, it, it very clearly says here that if we walk in darkness, that means habitually, if you are a habitual offender, if you have no intention of giving up your sins, no intention of walking away from that that you know is wrong, that means that then you're a liar if you say that you have fellowship with him and you're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the Bible says, in First John here in chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, that we have fellowship with one another with the church, with the body, with the community of Christ. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But in order for it to cleanse us from our sin, it tells us very clearly that we can't say that we've never sinned. We have to confess it. We have to acknowledge that we are weak and we have sinned and we we are uh, broken, fleshly, 
earthen vessels and we need that healing. We need that redemption, that cleansing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us from our sins. And it says here to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, not just some of it, but all of it. But we have to admit that we've sinned. We've have to, See, this is the crazy part of it is that the only way that you're made not guilty in the courtroom of God, if I can use this analogy, in other courtrooms in the, in the world, you have to admit, you have to prove that you're not guilty in order to be uh, given a verdict of not guilty, right? Well, in the courtroom of God, it works conversely. So in order to be declared not guilty by the blood of Christ, you have to confess and admit your guilt prior to that. If you confess that guilt, it humbles you, and it, you acknowledge it before, the, before God, before the cross, before the throne of the Lord, and you say, Lord, I've sinned. That's how you know that you can be declared not guilty, because Christ has already paid the punishment for you. And because of his blood, he has atoned for your sins, and he's made that reparation that you could never make. So don't be deceived. You can only be, you can only be declared not guilty by confessing that you were guilty. We're given grace and forgiveness for our sins, but only on the condition that we turn away from it. Here's another thing. Um, now, I'm not saying that God's love is conditional, but what I am saying is that his forgiveness is conditional. And that's a thing that I think that the American church has gotten away from is we believe that everything is okay, and um, that's just not the case. So let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. If we keep his commandments. Let me say that again. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word... In him, truly, the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. Now, that doesn't mean that we're able to walk perfectly just as Christ did, but we are striving. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are regenerated and we are given new desires, new passions, and we are trying to follow Christ to the best of our knowledge in the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us that enabling power to do so. Um, but, like I've said, the grace and the forgiveness... That's there, but it requires that repentance. We must walk as Jesus walked. We can't walk according to our flesh and doing the things that we want to do. And Jesus said it very well. I, I forget the, the actual scripture passage um, escapes me at the moment, but um, Jesus told those around him, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So you can't just say, okay, I believe in God. And expect that to be your saving grace. Because guess what? The devil does. The Bible tells us you believe in God, you do well. The demons, uh, the devil and the demons do also. And they, they shudder. They shudder because they know the consequences of what awaits them on judgment day. You can't just sit there and say, I believe in God and expect that to be your saving grace. And then just continue to live like, like the world lives. You can't do that. If you have had an, a true experience with Christ... Your desires will change, and you will notice that it's the power of God in you that, that makes you change, not you changing yourself. But if you've truly submitted and you've truly believed, it will create that saving faith in you, and that saving faith, uh, that, that power of the Holy Spirit will begin to live in you, and you will start noticing that you just, God will, will, will create in you those things. But it comes with true submission. 
And if you, and I'm not talking about war, salvation by works. I'm not saying that you're saved by what you do. But what I'm saying is that if you're truly saved, there should be some fruit there. There should be fruit. God, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. For every tree that does not bear good fruit is, cast, is cut down and cast into the fire. That's a word of warning. We cannot live like the world. If we say that we know him, we must walk as Christ did. That's what the Bible, in fact, I encourage everybody who's listening to this, if you're ever questioning your salvation, or you're not, not necessarily questioning your salvation, but if you, you want to examine yourself to make sure that you're walking according to Scripture, I would encourage you to go read the book of 1 John. Literally the entire book is nothing but a test of faith. It gives you literally... Uh, different passages of scripture tell you um, we know that we're saved or we know that we are in him if we do this, this, and this. And you can examine your life and, and start saying, okay, what am I, am I doing these things? Am I not? What in, need, what in me needs to change? What do I need to surrender to Christ in order to become more like him, in order to conform to the word of God and conform what, what Christ says I'm supposed to be? It's not about you doing it. It's about submitting yourself to Christ to allow the Holy Spirit to do it in you. Now, why do I say all this? Because there's an accusation against true believers in Christ that we're hypocrites when we judge sin. So listen to what I just said. When we judge sin, we don't judge as God judges. We don't act like we can condemn people to hell because of their sin. However, we are given authority by Jesus, and we are told to judge all things. But when we judge by the Spirit, we're not judging by the flesh. We judge the sin. We cannot judge the sin while overlooking the sinner, however. We must reach out to extend the message of the gospel of Christ to those um, who are blinded by their sin and allow them the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to minister to them and open the eyes of the Spirit to the truth of the gospel, and that way they might come to the same salvation and hope that we have in Jesus. So what I'm getting at here, to, if I had to simplify all that I just said, Christians are told and given authority by Christ to judge sin. Now, I can judge somebody's sin without condemning them. I'm not to condemn, but I am to judge. I, there's nothing wrong with saying, okay, that's wrong. That's right, that's wrong. Otherwise, parents could not be parents. If your parents can't teach you right from wrong, then what's the point of having a parent, right? Other than just feed you and make sure that you don't die. What's the point of being a parent? You have to teach people right from wrong. We make judgments every single day. We judge what we want to eat, what we want to wear, the TV shows that we like, the music that we like, why we do this, why we do that. We judge everything. We judge the people that we hang around with. Everybody, see, the people that say don't judge, they don't take that full scripture in context. They just say, okay, well, the Bible says don't judge. No, that's actually not what it says. It continues to talk about if there's a plank in your uh, in your brother's eye, you must remove the speck before you can take the plank out of his eye. That way you're, uh, you're, you're not being hypocritical about your judgment. People take scripture out of context, and then they create these false teachings, and now people like to contort scripture, and they, they use that as a license to do whatever they want to do. For example, if somebody's living uh, in a lifestyle of continual homosexuality, I mean, let's just be honest about it. The Bible calls it out of sin because the Bible says that it's an unnatural passion. And because of the depravity of man, God has given them over to the... Um, there's a whole scripture about that. It's in Romans chapter 1. Uh, go look it up if you want to. But if somebody's doing that, they say, oh, you can't judge me. No, I'm not judging you to condemn you, but I am saying that what you're doing is wrong according to the word of God. And the reason I say that is because I love you and I want you to come to the same grace, knowledge, hope, salvation in Christ that I have come to. It's not because I think I'm right. It's because I know that the word of God is true. And if I think it's true, if I know it's true and I don't share it, and I don't share it, then I must really be a hateful person because that means I don't care if you go to hell or not. 
So if I, what I just said offended somebody who listened to that, like if somebody's, you know, struggling with homosexuality or somebody, you know, might be re listening to this and um, say, well, who are you to judge? Look, I'm not hating you in any way, shape or form. I love you. But your lifestyle has to conform to Christ if you say you're a Christian. We can't make these changes in ourselves. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to do it for us. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 real quick. Um, yep, 1 Corinthians. Um, chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, or foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. And then it talks in uh, verse, verse 16, it says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That doesn't mean that we're perfect, but it does mean that Christ has given us his ability through his Holy Spirit, uh, or given us an ability, I should say, not necessarily his ability, but given us an ability through the power of the Holy Spirit, to judge things that can only be spiritually discerned. It's not to condemn, but it is to, we are called to judge. And if you're not judging, let, let's be honest here, if you don't exercise some form of judgment, then literally you couldn't do anything. You couldn't make any decision ever at any point in your day. You know, like, I mean... If you see a red light, you have to you have to make the judgment to break. Could you go through the red light? Yeah, you could, but you know what it means and you know the consequences of it. So therefore, you hit the you hit the gas uh, you hit the brake. You don't hit the gas. So maybe you do, but you hit the brake and you stop because it's a red light because you know that it's illegal and there's consequences if you get caught. And not only that, but if you go through the red light, you run the risk of killing somebody or yourself or or everybody. Who knows? There are real consequences to the things that we do, and we make judgments every day based on the consequences of the things that we understand. Why would we say it would be any different with the Bible? Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. This is the part that everybody loves to, you know, say, oh, don't judge this. I'm like, mm-hmm, all right, let's go. Let's talk about it. Judge not that you not be judged, period. And that's where everybody usually stops, right? But... It keeps going. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek, or excuse me, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So Jesus is saying here, don't judge in a way that makes you hypocritical. You can exercise judgment, but when you do it, make sure that you do it righteously. Judge with righteous judgment. Don't judge as a hypocrite. Take everything out of it. Make sure that your house is in order first, but still you are able to exercise judgment, but you must do so with gentleness and with respect and with love. That doesn't mean that you don't ever call anybody out for what's wrong. That just means that when you do, you have to be careful about how you do it, and you have to be gentle. The bottom line is this. True Christians will not be sinless or perfect. No such person has ever existed or ever will. While we are in human bodies, we will always struggle with the sinful nature in us and will always have to rely on the power of God in our lives, lest we fall into sin. 
The true Christian will sin less, however, and the attitude of the heart will be changed to the point of hating the evil desires of our flesh and the realization of God's love for us through understanding what's been done for us through the cross of Jesus and the kindnesses of God that lead us to repentance. And thus, we will walk in the salvation of Christ and we are clothed in His righteousness before God. The Scriptures have told us that we are to judge sin, and when we do so, to not be hypocrites, but to be careful to practice what we preach. We're not to believe ourselves superior to anybody around us, but to show them who Christ is. Make no mistake, if anyone, Christian or not, chooses to not repent of their sins and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then, they, and, and, then the wrath of God is going to be against you, and it's from God's wrath that we've been saved. It's from the wrath of God that we've been saved. When somebody says we've been saved, that's what you've been saved from, is the wrath of God for your sins. A true follower of Christ will hate their sin, and all sin, because it separates them from God and their, their God, their Father, and their Lord Jesus Christ. God has provided a way of salvation through His Son, and only by Him are we saved from God's righteous wrath against us because of our sins against Him. It's the greatest act of love and mercy we could hope to comprehend, yet so many refuse it because they love the pleasures of their sin. Although they realize what they do is against the will of God, they will answer for it one day. Do not let one day pass when you don't appeal to God for forgiveness of your sins. And always be careful to walk in humility before God and before men, that that way you could be blameless to both. We do not deserve God's love and forgiveness, yet He offers it to us. What makes a Christian a hypocrite is when they know the truth and they refuse to do it. When they know the right thing to do, but they do evil, and they preach against sin, but they live a life of continuous unrepentant sin in their own private life. And many people in the church fall in this category. The, the little quote that nobody's perfect, it is an explanation, but it should never be considered as an excuse to continue in sin. So hopefully I've made that clear. I've tried to bring this as gently as I could, and um, I, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not hating anybody. And uh, Lord knows, and I'm letting everybody on here know, I've struggled with a lot of different things in my life. If anybody knows me personally, you know some of the things that I've struggled with, and I can testify that uh, I daily fail God in one way or another, either in something I'm thinking or a motivation for the reason I do certain things or, um, you know, my own pride, my own arrogance, my own, uh, you know, lack of spiritual discernment. that makes me, you know, do stupid things sometimes. And uh, I, I constantly have to ask God's forgiveness for different things. And I constantly have to maintain an attitude of repentance before Him. So I want everybody to hear me that I have to apply this message to my own life as well. This isn't something that um, I'm, I'm speaking or teaching to somebody. This is something that literally every person who's ever lived can take a lesson from this. Because these, this isn't from me. This is from the Word of God. And, I, and I've tried to do the best I could to explain that with Scripture and show you exactly where it is. And uh, hopefully that that's, that's come across clear. Thanks again for everybody who's tuned into this. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Um, if you've got any suggestions, uh, my email is ronkelly, that's K-E-L-L-E-Y, all lowercase, ron, R-O-N, Kelly with an E-Y, the number 47 at gmail.com. Go ahead, hit me up with, uh, give me a subject line of, uh, just say like uh, podcast. Just use the word podcast in the subject. And just, if you want to hit me up with any uh, comments, suggestions, any kind of topic ideas that you'd like me to cover, anything at all that I can do to make this a better listening experience for you. Or if you'd like me to pray for you for anything particularly, feel free to reach out. Um, always willing to do that and love any feedback I can get, positive or negative. Um, yeah, thank you so much for listening. If you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, something I've said has maybe convicted you and you realize that you need to give your life to Jesus, um, reach out to me. 
Let me help get you started in your walk with Christ. It's not about what you pray. It's not about saying a certain uh, prayer or saying a certain type of uh, prayer or certain words. It's a, it's an attitude of repentance of your sins in your heart that has to happen. So I would just encourage you to pray right now. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Confess that you're a sinner. Confess that you've sinned and that you need his mercy, his forgiveness, his grace, that the only hope that you have is in the cross of Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed for you. And, um, and believe truly believe that and you will see that the holy Spirit, you will feel that regeneration it's 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 a spiritual thing but yet at the same time there's a realization in your in your body in your mind even like you just have this knowledge that you see things differently and you'll see that the spirit of god is working in you in different ways and um it's really hard to describe so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop trying to describe it but yeah reach out God, Jesus said, I will never turn away one who turns, or I'm paraphrasing, of course, obviously, but um, the Bible does say that God will never turn away somebody who turns to him. Um, if you do so in humility, true repentance, you can have faith, uh, have comfort and assurance that Jesus will meet you right where you are. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. And uh, thanks for tuning in on this episode. And uh, I think I'm going to take a couple weeks and get some things together so it'll be another couple weeks or so before my next upload but uh hopefully this has been fruitful for you guys once again hope everybody had a good easter last week and have a good weekend be safe this is going out on friday however if you're listening to this whatever day of the week you're listening to i hope it meets you where you are and i hope that god blesses you thanks for tuning in again and god bless